Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I am your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and it is time for another Myth Monday episode, and today we're going to be talking about starfish and whether or not a starfish is a starfish. I've been on vacation. I'm back. I'm excited to sit down to the mic and get recording again, and I actually got to see and touch and hold some starfish on vacation, so that's what kind of brought up this topic but before we get started let's give thanks thankful to have you back brian um glad you made it safe glad you're back glad that you are um ready to share some experiences that you had yeah vacation traveling by Mm -hmm. airplane is a weird thing going far from home you're going on an airplane i know what the stats say (laughs) i know it says that driving in a car is way 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 more dangerous than flying in an airplane but there is something about leaving your home, leaving all your stuff, leaving your kids, and going far away on an airplane that just makes me feel like I might not come back. So it's kind of an uneasy feeling, but once you get kind of going and doing it, you you get a little more comfortable. But getting home is always so nice, and it is a Mm -hmm. blessing to be able to to travel thousands and thousands of miles away, experience a new place, see God's creation, and uh, have some rest with God, but still come home and be in one piece and have all your family. It feels really good. Uh... With that being said, I am really thankful for my wife. You know, we live, especially in America, very, very busy lives. And what what we do without even realizing it is we, we don't make time for the relationships that are important in our lives. And when you don't make time for a relationship, relationships suffer because they're, they're, they take work. And it's the same with, with God. If we don't talk to God and God doesn't talk to us, that's not a relationship. You have to experience each other. So being able to go on vacation and really spend time with just my wife in God's creation in a beautiful place away from all the distraction, um, it was kind of uh, revitalizing just really to uh, be able to show my love for her and to understand her love for me even after you know all these years, over a decade of being together and going through all this. It was just really great to get away from everything and just be with her. It was really nice. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. And now we're back to the grind. I'm thankful for all she does that, that allows me to be able to do some of the things that I do and my kids to be able to do the, do and have the things that they have. So yeah, we're really I, thankful for her. I'm going to add, I think sometimes we live in a lie. And what I mean by that. The devil is deceitful. That he very much is. I, I think that people say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to work every day. I'm working hard. I'm coming home. I'm doing all these things for you. For you, the other person in the relationship. For you, the one that's involved. And though we are doing that, we lose track of why we're really doing that. And we get so wrapped up in what we're doing for that person that we're not even taking care of that person anymore. And right. I think that's where what you shared on your on your vacation, being able to truly spend time with that person, um, that is the real relationship. And, and we need more of that. And I think we can at home. We just have to be more conscious to it. Yeah, and, diligent and conscious of, of, of what you're doing. Absolutely. Right. It, it right. takes work. It does. Yes. It does. But... It's a beautiful thing when you mm-hmm. put the work into it. it. It really is. So that's enough. We could probably go down a whole other podcast. Yeah, let's get to work. Series. So let's get to work <laughs> now that we're we're back. Vacation's over. It's time to work. And the myth we're talking about, we've already said is sea star. And the myth really is 
is that the right thing to call it? Is it the right name? Is it a sea star? You know, Ben, you and I were very fortunate. We live very landlocked. We're a long ways from an ocean. We're mm-hmm. right in the central, about as middle of the United States as you can get. But to be able to work at a really, really nice aquarium. I mean, actually, it's probably one of the best in our country to mm-hmm. be able to work there. Not only work there, but be on the front side of the building and the construction and all these animals being brought in and, right. and allocated to where they go. And working with marine biologists, we got some pretty good marine experience right here in the central United States. So this is actually where we learned this topic because yeah, we, <laughs> we were wrong for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a marine biologist. Didn't know this at all. Let's let's clarify something real quick. You started off this episode by talking about starfish. Yeah. So you said starfish. You've been saying starfish, and then you just now said getting into this sea star thing. Right. So, so that's, that's that that's, really is the myth. Right. That's what we're talking about today. Do we call them starfish, or do we call them sea stars? Or do we call them sea stars? You know, growing up reading books, children books, we've always called them books, starfish. Books, movies, TV shows, books, movies, TV games, shows. You're still going to see in. it. Yeah, starfish. This is kind of like our Buffalo Bison episode. It is. It really is. It's, it's what, what do we call it? What, what is its real name? What is its real name? And so working there at Wonders of Wildlife, working next to marine biologists, actually working to, with these men and women that were taking care of these animals, like that was their job, yeah. to take care of this animal and to hear them. And we had these animals there. Yeah, we had them there. We actually handled them. Touch them. We let guests come up and we touch them. We about them, yeah. We, I mean, we were educators of these animals. And so the people that really studied them, the marine biologists and the aquarists that took care of them every day, they instructed us that we needed to call them... Sea stars. Sea stars. That's right. Not star starfish. Fish. And the reason for that is, is because they aren't fish. Right. They have no similarities to a fish at all besides that... They live in the water. Mm-hmm. That's really it. Mm-hmm. That's really it. And you wouldn't call a sea snake a sea fish. So why snake would we fish? <laughs> snake yeah. fish? It's yeah. not what it is. It's a, it's a snake. And these are not fish. So they shouldn't be called a starfish. They have no gills. They have no scales. They have no fins. They have no fish parts. None. Yep. So we shouldn't call them a fish. They really are sea stars. And they're they're an amazing animal, but the family that they actually fall into isn't a fish family. It's called an echinoderm. Some things to kind of make you understand what an echinoderm is would be like if you know what a sand dollar is or a sea cucumber, urchins. A lot of people know what the spiny little urchins are. Those are all echinoderms, and they're invertebrates. They don't have spines which, again, fish are vertebrates. I mean, it's really when you look at it, there's just no similarities at all. Echinoderms are invertebrates. They are marine animals. They usually have spiny skin covering, and they usually have radial symmetry, which basically means from a central point, symmetrical going around that central point. And you can very clearly see that when you look at a sea star, that they have that radial symmetry. If you really look at these animals, and as we began to learn and teach about them, I learned so much because I really didn't know anything besides there were these star-shaped animals that lived on the bottom, and apparently I called them by the wrong name for so long. There's some amazing things about them that I learned from these biologists and, and aquarists that we worked with. So they're really cool. Just got back from vacation. I actually went to Jamaica. God's creation there is is mind-blowing for for me someone who enjoys the outdoors and i felt weird when i got there 
because as a biologist and and knowing a little bit about the flora and fauna of where I live, when I got there, it was just, I knew nothing about anything. So seeing all these birds and plants, when you go out into the ocean, it is so beautiful. We were actually, we went out on a boat. Well, we went snorkeling and we were actually able to catch and touch uh, what's called a brittle star, which it, it looks, it is a sea star. It's very closely related to it, but it has the, the tentacles, the arms, actually not tentacles, their arms are much slender and it looks like they're brittle and they could break. But this thing was, we picked it up while we were snorkeling off the reef and it was climbing all over us. It was really neat to feel, but it's that kind of hard, spiky, classic echinoderm thing. Later on, we went up the coast, but we were in like 30 to 40 feet of water. It was so clear and blue standing on top of this boat. So by where I was standing to where these sea stars were was at least 40 feet. Mm. We were able to take our iPhones and take pictures of them. That's how clear this water was. That was awesome. Just absolutely beautiful to be able to take a picture of them on the bottom that far away. Uh, So being able to get to see some up close and then remembering the story from Marine, that's why we really wanted to share this. And they are, they're they're amazing, amazing animals. In our research about this, you kind of got talking about how animals have different colors of blood. Can you talk a little bit about a sea star's blood? Well, I would, Brian, but uh, they don't have blood. That's right. They they really, none. They have no blood at all. What's so they actually, don't even have like any kind of clear fluid? They do have clear fluid going through their body, but it's actually water. Okay. Yeah, so they're actually pulling water in through their body. So they have, they have on the bottom of them, um, it's just called like a little sieve or sieve plate on the bottom, and that's where they bring in water. So they're circulating this water through a vascular system in their body and their tube feet, so how they move or grab food is actually with uh, and create suction to latch onto things, which is actually through the water that they're moving, pumping in and out of their body. Now, you keep talking about their body, and that's something else that uh, I had to be really, really young. I just remember my mom had this glass jar full of um, seashells, and what I thought was a starfish, but it wasn't. It was a sea star, and it was basically the dried-out, five-legged sea star yeah you know and it was like hard as a rock um are there bodies is that something is is that a exoskeleton and because if it is an exoskeleton um i guess it would last forever then that after the animal then dies from the inside that's all that's left right so when you talk about their body when you saw them on the beach were you finding dead ones do you find them dead just a skeleton or are you finding live full grown ready to go sea stars no we I didn't really see a whole lot of, like, on the actual beach where we were, I didn't see a whole lot of life, didn't see any sea stars. It was really windy and wavy there, so you couldn't, even though the water was crystal, crystal clear, you couldn't see a whole lot because of the waves, which was kind of abnormal for the area that we were in. People kept telling us, some some people were blaming me. They were <laughs> this Our snorkel captain was like, it was my fault because I was a good swimmer. I brought the waves or whatever, but I claimed, I claimed the fault. They were saying it was normally like a lake. Normally really calm, but we couldn't see through the water because of that. So the ones that we saw were actually, we went out a couple miles in a boat to the reef. Okay. So my survival mind, my brain, what I'm thinking through is, you know, if you can see them, you'd have to swim down and get them. You're not really finding any on the bank. So you're going to be burning a lot of energy to obtain these. And then I'm getting to think, well, are they even edible? Are there um, sea stars that are poisonous which means if you eat it's going to get sick or are there any that are venomous meaning that i shouldn't touch them 
So there are some that are venomous, and I, I mentioned that we we touched and held a, a brittle star. Well, yeah, because you said it crawled all over your hand. It was crawling all over me. And now so, the ones at at uh, Wonders of Wildlife in the aquarium, the areas that we got to touch, the the sea stars we had did not move that quick. Right. Um, you could see the the movement in the water along the walls, but they weren't very fast. It was it was slow. Yeah, this brittle star was definitely different than than the sea stars that I've touched and held before, um, and. I I didn't have I was swimming down to the reef and to the bottom and I was finding all kinds of things that I wanted to touch, grab, pick up, but because that is not my expertise and that is not my confidence in this marine world, I wasn't touching anything. Our our snorkel guide or our captain had actually brought we'd found this and he actually picked it up and once he once I saw it on his hand, it immediately gave me the trust and the confidence. So I stuck my hand out like, well let me have that thing. And he did. He put it in my hand. And so being able to experience that was cool. But there were so many things that I wanted to touch and grab. I learned several years ago, I was snorkeling. It was on a cruise and we had stopped at several islands. But I want to say I was in Grenada, the island of Grenada. And I was snorkeling and I didn't know what a sea snake was, which it's like a black and white striped snake that is very venomous. Very venomous. I didn't know this at the time. While I was snorkeling, I, I found one. And it wasn't scared of me. It was kind of poking out of these rocks. I swam right up to it. And in my mind, I thought, I was arm's reach. I thought, well, I ought to grab that thing. But I didn't. And <laughs> later on, good. I was telling the locals what I'd seen. And they were like, oh, my gosh. Like, well, don't even go back over there because that thing's terrible. It's super venomous. Don't go in there. Kind of learned my lesson. So on this trip, while I was seeing all these things, and a lot of them looked harmless, that thought kept running through my mind of, there are so many species of so many different creatures. I don't know what they are. I'm going to play it safe. Right. And and come to find out, studying, there are there are venomous sea stars. Mm. And so I'm glad I wasn't just grabbing Picking and touching, and touching things. Them. Yeah. But I do think there are some that are edible that people eat. Yeah, and I there is some research out there that say people eat them. However, I don't know enough to really share here which ones you should or shouldn't. Um, even the process of eating them, cooking them, not cooking them, don't even know. So, um, but I will say that if I was starving enough, <laughs> if they were out of the water on the bank, I may have to give them a try. Right. <laughs> but uh, they're not fish, so don't plan on them, them tasting like fish. I guess, right? Yeah, I I doubt it would taste like a fish, and it might be a little crunchy once you cook it with <laughs> yeah. a little spiky exoskeleton on the outside. You know, thinking about size, it's hard to. The ones I was holding and touching were about the size of my hand. But I would guess that the ones I was taking a picture of from in 30, 40 feet of water, they had to be pretty big. They looked black from where I was, but because you could see them through that depth and still get a picture of them, they had to be pretty big size. So that kind of led me to wonder, well, what are the size ranges of this? And the smallest sea star is less than an inch, less than an inch in diameter, tiny. Wow. And the largest one is a little bit over three feet in diameter. So you that's, have a huge, yeah. huge range there. Massive. And I think if I were snorkeling and I saw a three foot diameter sea star, I would be scared. I would. That's <laughs> what not, the heck is that? It isn't normal. Or is that fake? Did somebody put that right. there? Right. Because normally you think of like, I'm going to say the palm of your hand yeah. size. Yeah. That's kind of what my brain goes to. And that's what I've normally seen and been able to experience in aquariums. Uh, are those you asked me was this brittle star moving fast mm -hmm. and i'm going to say yes compared to the sea stars that we've handled before right 
And the question really comes up then, well, how do they even move? They just have five arms, right? They have right. no feet. They have no legs. Um, what what they have is called a tube feet, and it literally is like a it's a tube that comes out the bottom of their arm, and it's got two parts to it. It has an ampulla, which are pouches that they're kind of bringing the water in and out of the other part of the tube foot, which is called the podium. And that podium is what's actually creating that suction or kind of secretes this, they're going to call it a glue, but with parentheses around it, it's not really a glue. And so when they're drawing this water up, creating that suction, that's what allows them to be able to hear, adhere to anything and able to move. And whatever arm of theirs is pointing in the direction that they want to go, they can actually make the, the feet, the tube feet on that pull harder than the other tube feet, and that's what makes them move in a direction. It's just what, some of their feet pulling harder than the other feet. So why do they need to move? What's, what's, what is even the point of moving? Well, they're actually carnivorous hunters, so they're looking for prey. They need something to eat, and the right. main thing that they're going to eat is, is going to be in the mollusk family, clams, oysters, uh, those kinds of things. So they're out looking for those to go eat, and once they get them, they're going to grab them. They have uh, two stomachs. Uh, they don't have a brain, so they're not thinking, they're not processing. They're just going to find food and survive. It's a very simple life. Mm -hmm. And they're going to grab it. They're going to create that suction. They're going to pull the shells apart of the mollusks that they've caught. And then one of their stomachs, the cardiac stomach, is going to come out of them, actually come out of them, fully engulf their food and suck it back in. And then it's going to move it on to the other stomach, and then in that stomach, that's where they're actually going to finish the digestion off at. So crazy, just the design of all that. It's wild. It yeah, really design's, wild. design's a great word because, I mean, w humans, we can sit down and we can we can draw up awesome stories about transformers and, and robots and all that. Uh, you know, uh, what is the, the bumblebee? You know, he turns from a, a Camaro in, into a robot. And that seems cool. And it's like, man, somebody really had to be thinking to do that. But... When you start thinking about a sea star that has two-part tube feet that creates its own pressure and two stomachs that can crack open a... I mean, it doesn't even have a brain or eyes, yet it's able to find prey and crack open... It's able to survive. ...a, a clam and survive. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody could dream this up. Nobody. Right. right. It, it, it is designed, and it couldn't happen from chance, and it couldn't happen... It couldn't just come from nothing. So it is amazing when you look at the complexities of simple things. A sea star is so simple compared to us. Right. You look at the complexity of something that is we would consider simple and how they survive truly is amazing. It is. It truly, it truly is amazing. Something I want to add to this is, is we've been talking about kind of some different types, but how many types of sea stars are there? Well, or do they know how many there are? The, but, you know. the oceans and the seas are a mysterious place. As right. you know, we find new species and the incredible depths and miles of, of the earth that is covered by it. We find new things all the time. Uh, but we believe we've discovered over 2,000 different species of, of sea star. So with there being 2,000 species of sea star, you know, some of them are going to be ones that we need to, to steer clear from. Some of those that we, we could possibly eat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do know that there are cultures or countries, there's people that eat them. Um, you're not going to eat the shell, of course. Um, but with that being said, I want to encourage those that, like, if, if you don't know if it's safe to eat or not, don't eat it, don't try it. Especially because some sea stars are endangered. 
and so we want to protect them. You're not going to go out and what we'd say harvest them um, to eat. You know, we love talking about survival and and what you can gather, but um, we need to take care of of what we have dominion over. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mentioned or we were kind of talking about how they're they're hunters and they're finding their food. I said they didn't have eyes or a brain, so kind of how in the world do they find their food? Right. And they don't technically have eyes, but they do have these receptors on the end of each arm, and they call them eyes, but they're not actually seeing. It's on the end of each one. If you flip them over, you can actually see it's usually a little red dot at the end of each of their arm. Um, And they're really just sensing light, so they can see light and darkness. Or if a big shadow, I'm going to say if a shark swam over the top of them, they could sense that something dark went over the top of them and blocked the light. But those aren't what they're using to find their prey. They're actually smelling, and they smell with their feet. And their smell is kind of a a generalized term because they're actually picking up chemical signals from their prey. So everything, we all put off a chemical signal, especially when we're in the water because the water is a solution. So it's taking the chemicals that our body is is putting off and distributing, and they're, they're finding these chemical signals with their feet, and they're actually moving in that direction until they find it. And that's how they find their mollusk that they're going to have for a meal. Tasty. Tasty. Well, I mean, I'd love to, to fill my steak with my feet before I eat it. <laughs> yeah, you you were mentioning that some of them are endangered. Actually, a lot of species are going to this endangered state and more are being added to it every year. And the main thing that's causing that, they don't really know what it is, but they, they're calling it sea star wasting disease. So... The, a lot of them are dying. A, a sea star can live 35 years, but since 2014, they've really discovered that this sea star wasting disease is wiping out massive numbers of these sea stars, and so they're adding more and more species to the critically endangered list. And so they're not living up to this 35-year lifespan that they have. So help me understand something, and, and maybe you don't know this. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. What does wasting disease mean? Because to me, if, if we have deer that are going through a wasting disease, now we have these sea stars that are going through a wasting disease. To me, it sounds like something that man is going to say when they don't really have an answer for what's happening. Right. The, the word wasting refers to deterioration. And so the reason they use it with chronic wasting disease in, in deer is because it's actually a deterioration of the brain, a, a porifying of holes actually being in the brain. So I don't really know. Again, I'm not a marine biologist. I don't really know what it means when it comes to sea star, but my initial reaction seeing sea star wasting disease would mean to me some kind of deterioration of the process or deterioration of the body and the mechanisms that it needs to survive. That, that's what I see the, the word wasting would, would But they don't know me. why but they don't really know why. Right, the we don't with, really know why with, with deer either. It's just that we know we know the um, the symptom. Yeah. We're seeing the symptoms, but we don't know what's causing it. Right, we know we know what causes it, but we don't know where what causes it comes from with, with deer. But that's, that's a whole different thing. The same thing can be said for sea stars with their wasting disease. Mm-hmm. There are a whole, all kinds of theories out there of what's causing it. We don't really know. Right. We don't really know. We're not going to go down that road because um, it's mm. even it's a little sticky, even a little political. And we're not we're not going to go down that road. We're just going to share the things that we do know about sea stars because they're am- amazing animals. With that, I want to talk about how they breed, how they pro- how they become prolific. We talked about that that they're dying. Well, how are we getting more of them? The species that are doing well, and what is so amazing about them is that they can actually reproduce sexually 
or asexually. So you'll have, um, for sexually, you'll have male and female sea stars, and they just emit, the male will emit its sperm, and the female will emit its eggs up into the water column, and hopefully they find each other. And if they do, they actually become a plankton, and they exist as plankton. Hopefully the current is moving them away to a new area, so they're spreading out their range. And then once they're ready to uh, become little baby sea stars, they'll settle down at the bottom, and they'll become little baby sea stars kind of a lot of chance that has to happen in there, but obviously it's designed and it does work because we still have sea stars, right? Mm-hmm. But they can also reproduce asexually, which means a sea star can split itself into two and become two sea stars, which in and of itself is an amazing process. Where that's kind of handy, I would say is, is convenient. If they get damaged or they lose an arm, they can regenerate and regrow that arm and become a, a full-bodied sea star again. Hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> so when one splits in two, does does it take, since it has two stomachs, does one stomach go to one side and one stomach go to the other? Right I think down the it middle? Gets, I would say it gets half of each stomach because the stomachs are two different kinds, so it has to remain the same so it ha- would have to have both kinds well i'd be i'd want to be the sea star that's got the if it's a five-legged one five-armed they're I'll, not all five-legged i want the, th- five I want the arm, three the instead of the two then yeah they're not all five arm yeah oh, okay but the, the two stomachs you can bring that up i didn't say the names of them earlier you have the cardiac stomach which is the one that actually comes out of the mouth it's going to engulf its food secrete some really powerful enzymes begin digestion and then it's going to suck that stomach back in to its body, and then it's going to move that to the pyloric stomach, and that's where it's going to finish the digestion of, it, of its prey. Well, Ben, we've shared a lot of really cool information about these amazing animals. What I really, really want people to take away is that they're amazing and that they are sea stars, not starfish. So mm-hmm. next time you go to an aquarium or an ocean, you can call them by the right thing. You can share with other people, and it, it really is an easy thing to explain because you can look at them and tell they have no fish anatomy at all, so we shouldn't call them fish. I hope you've enjoyed learning about them and some of my recent experiences actually encountering them and getting to handle them. We hope that you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, we really need your help. We need your support. Um, The best way to do that is to listen. That's the easiest way. It's no cost to you. Listen. We would love if you left us a review. It helps us to move up the rankings and the charts and and factor into all the logarithms so that more people are listening and getting this some of this information. So leave us a review on iTunes. Just give us a star rating if you want to type up uh, what we're doing well or what we're not. We would greatly appreciate that. But also, if you feel so inclined, please support us financially. If you go to our Facebook or Instagram or even our TikTok, you can click on the link tree and you'll find where it says Patreon. If you go to Patreon... There is an option to give us $5 a month, $10 a month, or $25 a month, and that's going to go directly into producing this podcast. It it isn't free for us to do this. We spend a lot of time and money putting this out, so your support would would mean the world to us. If you go all the way up to that $25 option, we're going to mail a Meant to Be Outdoors hat to your house along with a a handwritten thank you letter because we we really do appreciate everything that our supporters uh, and followers do for us. Additionally, follow us on Instagram. Facebook, whatever platform you're listening on, download, hit the automatic download button, subscribe so you're getting all the episodes. That helps us move up the rankings at all. And hopefully, uh, as you're traveling around this Christmas season, as you have a little extra time off work, you've got some good content to, to pass the time in the car. As always, we're so thankful to all of our listeners. Between now and the next episode, please find time to get outdoors.
Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.